Oliver Stone. He is a brilliant writer, and you know you're you're a brilliant writer too. I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear that part. There was static on the line. <laughs> you know what? It's a podcast. Anybody can keep rewinding it as many times as they want. The Minutia Man is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opi show. I'm Howard Sudbury. I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next, back to you, Steve. You're making a big change for 2020. Yes, I am. I'm going to change the way that I approach people in life. I can't wait to hear about that. And we're also going to talk about what it's like when you have an uncomfortable interview. And we'll have many of those in 2020. Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an OPI show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Oh, that was a little wangy bar. You know, Rick, you look a little sleepy. Uh, we're doing yeah. the podcast in an afternoon to yes. accommodate our guest, who we are really really excited for billy yes. hayes billy hayes uh, author of the midnight express um, yes you know, if you've seen that movie it's seared in your soul uh but you look a little tired i am a little tired this is nap time is it what, yeah. is, what is nap time what do you usually uh, usually around uh so right now what is it 159 yeah. i'd say around 220 from like to 220 to three o'clock so it's a forty minute, or like a. It's, I'm zipping in and out, really. You know? Okay, and then at three o'clock, I, I get up and I, uh, I go downstairs on my exercise bike, and I turn on some cable news and I hate pedal for an hour. <laughs> And then I'm fine. And then I'm ready to go well, again. So you must have lost 15 pounds with the Iraq bombing. Or the, the, <laughs> I tell you, honestly, these last few years, um, it, it has helped. It has helped. <laughs> well, you're going to be like 142 pounds after this election, I, I would imagine. That's right? a very good chance of that. Well, Happy New Year, Rick. Well, happy New Year to you. You look today. great. You oh, look, thank you. You look great and much health and happiness to everybody that's listening. Did you have a nice holiday season? Um. Yeah, I mean, it was, we didn't go anywhere. You Did you go anywhere? No, no, I was sick. I, yeah, that's right. You had the flu, right? That uh, sucked, but. Um, we um, we did the traditional Chinese food, you okay. know, my people. Yeah. You know, we, we, we wandered. <laughs> we wandered to a Chinese restaurant, and um, it was very nice. I actually did take the liberty of researching what the favorite Chinese dishes for Jews are. Do you want to hear them? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, Potstickers, number one. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't. Oh, no, I'm sorry. General Shout. General Sows. Is it Sows? Yeah, General Sows. Chicken. chicken. Yeah. Uh, then pot stickers. Then orange chicken. I, these are your classics. You're right. And number four is the free egg rolls with any order over 25 bucks. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Little Jewish joke there. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we had a very. We had David a, Stern. He's allowed to do that. David um, Stern. But no, we had a very nice holiday. I'm glad it's over. I'm yeah. sorry to hear about the passing of the other David Stern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would, uh, whoo, dodge that bullet, yeah. right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, the different countries, the NBA commissioner's name is David Stern. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he died, and I got quite a few texts, none of them very nice. You know, you know. I must say, it was weird watching the, the uh, headlines mm. for the whole week. You know, David Stern right. uh, revolutionized the NBA. You know, David Stern's passing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, 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 it was that, a little creepy. I'm it not was a little say, creepy. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about if you were... How, is there another Rick Kemper on Earth? 
Uh, not that I know of. Right. But, you know, actually, now that I've mentioned it, um, I posted this. Did you see that I posted your old letter that you wrote to... Uh, yeah, yeah, the da- um, to David Stern. see if I still have it here, because this is uh, pretty good. Now, uh, when David Stern... Uh, was the NBA commissioner, uh, this David Stern, uh, Minutia Men's David Stern, I thought it would be a funny idea to send him a letter. And uh, this is what the letter said. Uh, By the way, it's dated July 15th, 2006. Dear Commissioner Stern, I worry about you. Here it is, July, basketball's off season, and you still show up to work every single day. Yes, of course, you have a full plate, but Everybody wants a piece of David Stern. But shouldn't David Stern be allowed to go to the Hamptons for the weekend without constantly checking his voicemail and email? Shouldn't David Stern be allowed to stop and smell the roses without being bombarded with work? What if I told you that I could make that happen? You see, my name is also David Stern. If you hired me to sit in your office for the summer, you could have the entire summer off. And nobody would be deprived of spending some quality time with David Stern. Exactly. Uh, If someone called to speak to David Stern, they could still do so without inconveniencing you. If someone stopped to have a meeting with David Stern, they could still do so without inconveniencing you. If someone booked David Stern to deliver a speech at the National Press Club, David Stern could still do so without interrupting your trip to Cape Cod. Think about the possibilities. How much would your wife love it if David Stern actually picked out her gift? <laughs> How honored would NBA players be if David Stern showed up at their weddings? Right, right. I don't like to brag, but have you considered how nice it would be to have everyone talking about what an incredible dancer David Stern was? <laughs> I can cut a rug. <laughs> While I don't look like you, I am also a relatively short Jewish guy. Nobody would be the wiser. Please give it some thought. Sincerely. David Stern. And, and business cards. Could, I could just use his business cards, right? Um, I didn't get a response from no Mr. Response. Stern. No response. Well, uh, good vibes sent out to the David Stern family for the passing. <laughs> I um, really like that letter, though. I forgot how funny it was, and I found it. I was like, okay, yeah, I got to repost that. When was that, 06? 06. Okay. Yeah. So how okay. old were you in 06? You were uh, 40, 43 years old. 43. Those are the days, yeah. huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, just, oh. I was going to say full of head of hair, but no. Yeah, I was gonna say better shape, but no, no. Yeah, I would. I was gonna say drive a better car. No, the no. 05 Toyota Sienna. In fact, still is a, you were exactly basically the same the exact as you are the exact now. Same thing. All right, we should do some minutia. Right. Here we go. You're listening to Minutia Men, featuring the wacky exploits of your good pals Rick and Dave. Give them 22 minutes, and they'll give you absolutely nothing of value. Well, Happy New Year. Marijuana became legal in the great state of yeah. Illinois, and actually, we refer to it as cannabis. Oh, is that the... Yeah, yeah, marijuana is yesterday's word. And don't forget Billy Hayes coming up later in the show. Billy Hayes, who um, uh, spent five years in a Turkish prison for trying to smuggle. Uh, hashish. But other states are considering, definitely, you know, following our yeah. footsteps. 11 states now have, right. have uh, in the great, legalized it. The great state of Ohio is considering different um, ailments that they're going to allow medical marijuana. Okay? Okay. Which, you know, in Illinois... It's like, I think there's, I don't know, there's like 12 conditions. There's cancer, Crohn's disease, epilepsy, you know, lupus, glaucoma, all that is, okay. But Ohio wants to expand it a little bit, okay? Okay. Uh, Apparently, a petition was submitted to the state medical board requesting that being a fan 
of the Cleveland Browns or Cincinnati Bengals should be considered as a qualifying condition for medical marijuana <laughs> prescription. I can see that as a former Cubs fan. Right, and, and Chicago Bears, yeah. uh, obviously. So being a uh, Browns or Bengals fan was one of the 28 conditions that were sub- submitted to the state medical board. There you go. I like that. Yeah, you know, you probably have a list of some other things that they... Uh, well, I have a few conditions that I think might should be added. Okay. okay. Uh, being seated at a wedding with a table full of people you don't know. That's good. Okay. That'd yeah. be good. Uh, a screening of cats. Very good. Being uh, married to someone who ends every sentence with an unsaid comma dumbass. <laughs> well, you made your own list, too, didn't you? Wow, we, we didn't even coordinate this. How about having to see your daughter and Annie for the 34th time? Attending your spouse's office Christmas party. <laughs> good. I was going to put that one on, too. Reading the newspaper. Yes. Or watching the news <laughs> yeah. at any time. Until... Possibly forever. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so there are... you go. In Ohio, uh, even though you had a shitty uh, football season, you might be able to buy Being some Being the hope. parent of teenagers, <laughs> these are all qualifying. Um, I have a soccer story for you, Dave. And by the way, uh, there's a soccer podcast on mm-hmm. the network you might want to check out. It's called Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. It uh, posts every Thursday. Um, but this one has nothing to do with that. This is a friendly soccer match between rival drug cartels. <laughs> What what doesn't scream friendly that a couple of drug No, I didn't even finish. At a prison in Mexico on New Year's Eve. What could happen? <laughs> well, I can tell you what happened. 16 inmates ended up dead. It was uh, held at the Quinceañeras Men's Penitentiary in the state of Zacatecas. Uh, the match pitted members of the Gulf and the Zeta cartels, which are, you know, our Well, Zeta's going to kick their ass, I think, uh, you right? know, they're, they're a little better on defense. Um, uh, anyway, according to the Daily Mail, an argument about a dirty tackle in the penalty box led to firearms <laughs> being drawn, which I'm, I'm thinking when you're playing soccer. Bring your gun, right? You know, you never know when you're going to need it. Um, you know, red card. So a riot followed. It took the National Guard and prison officials three hours to put an end to the violence. Now, this is my favorite part of the story. In the aftermath of the riot, which also left five inmates wounded, officials went to everybody and smuggled everything, you know, got everything back that they had smuggled in. Because over New Year's, they all also got to spend time with their families. And here is, here's what they seized. In addition to guns and knives, which were used in the riot, mm-hmm. uh, the search also uncovered 77 bags of marijuana, a saw, three pairs of scissors, nine phones, phone chargers, two hammers, and a bottle of liquor. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you just said that, it just reminded me of that scene in American Graffiti. Do you remember when Toad went to the liquor store to get oh, yeah. the bottle of Old Harper? And he goes, I need three musketeers, a comb, a pint of Old Harper's, flash, flashlight batteries, beef jerky, right? And, and some kind of... And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is so true. All right. So anyway, that is our uh, soccer story for the week. Now, another uh, story came out over the over the holidays, and that's kind of a sad story, and that is uh, the uh, passing of Neil Innes. Uh-huh. Neil Innes was one of the Monty Python guys. He uh, was a guy who wrote songs for them. He was in the Ruddles. Uh-huh. And we had the uh, privilege of interviewing Neil uh, when we did a radio show uh, in 2017. And I have managed to uh, retrieve the audio of that. And uh, he at the time, he was... If you remember, I don't know if you remember this day, but he was there with 
Denny Lane and uh, Mark Hudson. Denny Lane and Mark Hudson. They were appearing at Beatles Fest or something like that, mm-hmm. or whatever that was called, uh, the uh, celebration of Beatles mm-hmm. fans. Um, and so we had them all in at the same time. They eventually played Can't Buy Me Love by the Beatles, which we can't play here, but we can play this. And so uh, please enjoy uh, our interview going back to uh, 2017. Neil Innes is here. Hello. Mark Hudson is here. <laughs> hello. 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 And Denny Lane are here. Howdy. And we are we are just so excited that you're here. Thank you. Now, I know you've had kind of a busy morning. You've been uh, playing songs and traveling all over the town here. Uh, it's but, a beautiful town, by the way. Uh, do you like it? it? I love Chicago. I always have. I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to take credit for the city. Yeah. I've been here my whole life. I'm taking credit for the city. So yeah. you guys have... Uh, I just want to introduce a little more about you to the listeners, just in case they don't know. Neil, who is sitting on the far left there, Neil was, they call you the seventh python, is that true? Well, it sort of is, but yeah. I think Carol Cleveland has more right to be the seventh python, so I'm the second seventh python. <laughs> okay. So is that the but 49th? Also, no, that wouldn't be square, that would be eighth then. The eighth also python. the third Bob Dylan, because Bob himself has now become the eighth Bob Dylan. <laughs> so it gets confusing. Yeah. Now if you've seen the Ruddles, you know, you have seen Neil. He is my favorite character in, oh, the, in the, the film. Nasty. You don't seem that nasty though, I gotta be honest. I think that was one of Eric's little jokes. <laughs> a, a stretch. <laughs> you know, I saw an interview with Eric recently and he said that uh, when it was time to do the movie, uh, somebody asked him if he was going to write the music and he said, no, I just called Neil and said, I need 12 Beatles songs. <laughs> right. Is that pretty much what had happened? Well, sort of. But, I mean, goes back to Eric and I doing a show together. He was, it was his show. He wanted to call it Rutland Weekend Television. Rutland is the smallest county in England. Okay. And so it would have the smallest television station, therefore the smallest budget. Mm. And it suited BBC Two to make a cheap TV show with a sort of, you know, raison d'etre. So uh, my job was to come up with cheap musical items. So I said, why don't we do a parody of A Hard Day's Night? Four guys in wigs Mm -hmm. and tight trousers running around a field, speeded up in black and white. And he said, that's great. I've got an idea for a documentary maker who's so dull the camera runs away from him. (laughs) And this this, this turned up on Saturday Night Live and and then the rest is kind of history because I think it was the original promoter wanted to get the Beatles together again. Yes, it was. And they uh, were offering millions of dollars to kill a whale or something. No, he offered, if I remember right, he offered $3,500. No. Because that was the the, job. Right. Lawn, lawn, lawn. Right. Chicago. Boy, yeah. um, or Canadian. Yeah. He had three thousand dollars, and that was the union rate for four musicians on Saturday That's Night. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes, and they you offered it to George. Right. You guys are getting nothing. By the <laughs> no, way, yeah, from we us. know. No. <laughs> so over here on uh, my right is uh, Denny Lane. Denny, one of the original members of Wings, not the Wings. Moody Blues, don't forget And the them. Moody Blues. Yeah. Now, I actually got a uh, phone call here from somebody asking me to ask you a question. All right, mm-hmm. and the question is. What did you prefer better, being in the Moody Blues or in the Wings? What was more fun for you? Well, you can't really say mm-hmm. that. Compare it because it was a completely different thing. But the Moody's was the first time I ever got up there to the, mm-hmm. you know, the number one spot with a record. Wings was 
trying to do something new again with somebody I knew from those days. Right. You know, we did the second Beatles too, don't forget. Right. Them. Yeah. So it was completely different. You can't prefer, I can't prefer, really. That word doesn't come in. But, you know, it's... It was a challenge to come from one thing like that into the thing with Paul because we both had to really prove ourselves. But we didn't really care. But we just went for it, you know. Okay. And then in the middle here, we have Mark Hudson, who is one of the Hudson brothers, with the coolest shirt I have ever seen. It's good. It matches my beard. Oh, it's it's You guys don't know Radio Land, but I have a multicolored beard. It's like I made out with a clown. (laughs) I I wouldn't have called it cool. I'd have said more more shouty. (laughs) (laughs) Shouty beard. Well, we're Chicago. If you want to make out with a clown, no problem. That's That's right. right. Totally fine. Uh, We watched your show when we were kids. Uh, It was a a big Saturday morning show, Mm -hmm. The Razzle Dazzle Hour, and yeah. and, your, and the van that you had in that show was kind of like your shirt. Yeah, it was. It was very yeah. psychedelic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and you know, they, tried to, they came, they approached the brothers on like, you know, the VH1 behind the music, huh. like, this one's gained weight, this one's on heroin and in jail, <laughs> this one's robbed four banks. And we said, no. <laughs> we enjoyed every second. We love each other, yeah. and we had a blast. And, and for those of you wondering, Mark is the one that had the mustache. I, yes, I was. My brother Bill was the one who married Goldie Hawn. Right. My younger brother Brett looked like Paul McCartney with big lips, so he was like on the cover of Sixteen magazine. I was just the one that was talented and well endowed, <laughs> and looked okay. like Groucho. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you remember how fun that was? Oh, yeah. Those guys together. Yeah. I mean, they they were riffing off each other. I and mean, that interview went a, a lot longer. I just wanted to play a little uh, clip of it. Uh, and if anybody's interested, you go on YouTube. And if you yeah. search Minutia Men Denny Lane, I think is the search keywords, you can hear them perform. Yeah, Absolutely. Love. All right. It's time for us to take a little break. Uh, but don't go anywhere because Billy Hayes, the, uh, the man who wrote Midnight Express about that... Uh, uh, getting caught and being sent to Turkish prison, a movie that if you saw it in the late 70s has probably scarred you forever. Uh, Billy Hayes will come and help us heal those scars when we come back after this. This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we talk with Boogie Check, radio legend John Records Landecker. You're in the Radio Hall of Fame. You're also featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, kind that's of, true. Yep, that's correct. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, for all the achievements you had, how does being on our Minutia Men podcast rank? Is that... There, nothing could be closer to my heart. <laughs> Minutia Men, Celebrity Interview, an OPI show... Only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com There's nothing closer to my heart. If you missed Los Anno Anno and friends, here's what you missed. Tony, I think we have to talk about something. All right, let's talk. You spoke about going to see Star Wars again. We need to talk about you in Star Wars. (laughs) I'm proposing that before you see Star Wars again, which I know is going to happen... We need to get at least two other movies under your belt during this viewing season. Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi. No, no, <laughs> sir. We need to get something that does not involve laser swords, so to speak. How many times have you seen it, Tony? Seven. Just seven. Just seven. <laughs> Tony, that's over 14 hours mm-hmm. of your life devoted of. to watching one, in my opinion, 
pretty mediocre Star Wars. That always scares me a little. (laughs) In a good way. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever the f*** it's called. And we are back. Uh, Dave, uh, we still have... uh, Now we're entering... We started the show in, in 2016, if you think about this. Oh so 16, 17, 18, 19. This is our fifth. This, uh, we are entering into our fifth year well. of doing Minutia Men, which is uh, quite an accomplishment, I think. And we haven't run out of celebrities that you have met, have we? No, we haven't, <laughs> which is kind of scary. Uh, so we have to do that now. Let's, uh, let's bring that to clip in. Here we go. A random name pulled out of Rick's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So this is the part of the show where Dave reaches his hand into the Costco jar, pulls out a name, and uh, I have to tell the story of having met that uh, celebrity. Now, the last time we pulled a name out was... Last decade. Yes. Uh, Arlo, so that was a while ago. It was Arlo White. Arlo White. Well, I'm not 100%. I don't quite remember who Arlo White he is. He is a soccer announcer. Okay. right? He, and he's the, he's the announcer for uh, NBC in America. He broadcasts the Premier League games in America. Okay. Right. So I, I'm a huge fan of the Premier League. I watch all the games. And... Uh, and I started becoming uh, an Arlo fan a few years ago, and I, my fanship has kind of been embarrassing um, because no. I found out that he was coming to Chicago. It turns out that when he was a kid, it's this kid who grew up in Leicester City in England, England sure. had family in Chicago. And so he would come to visit the family in Chicago over the summers, and he is, it turns out, a huge fan of... Of the Cubs. Oh, my God. This is a perfect storm. And he played with the Beatles, and he's got gout and elephantitis. I love you, Arlo. So I already loved him, yeah. but then I loved him more, right? And then and then one day I was on Twitter, and I follow Arlo on Twitter, and I see a little video that he puts on Twitter, and it says, uh, hey, I'm just practicing throwing off the first pitch because I'll be coming to England. Because I'll be coming to Because Twitter has accents. Yeah. Right? Well, he has an accent. Oh, sure. Um, and he's coming to uh, Chicago. Oh, and you, you were like, throw out the first pitch. You I'm were like, giddy, weren't you? So um, I, of course, got tickets to that uh, to that game, and uh, went to stalk him. I got there early. He he was throwing out the first pitch with a you know obviously that's like a half hour before the game starts. So I got there like an hour early. I stalked out the area where they usually the the. I know exactly sure. the path. Right. I know that ballpark like the back of my hand. <laughs> right. Now, what problem was the usher wouldn't let me stay where I wanted to stay. Didn't you explain to him that you're the I number did. one Arlo uh, Arlo White fan in As America? As it turns out, he didn't care. But, what the usher? The usher oh. didn't care. He didn't see the importance of the situation. <laughs> Now, I thought to myself, great, now I'm going to have to fight all the other Arlo fans. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, I'm not going to have first crack at him and all this other, you know. And so he goes out there, he throws out the first pitch, and, I, and I'm sitting in the next section behind there, you know, as close as I can get without the ushers kicking me out. 
And you're pathetic. This is an absolute <laughs> pathetic story. Go on. And I watch him, you know, after he throws right, it. Sure. And, you know, hey, did he do it well? He's from he England. Did. He did fine. Okay. He, right. he did quite well. Okay. He threw the pitch, and yeah. everyone was like, yay. Yeah. Uh, but really, nobody cared. Right. As it turned out. And nobody and in the ballpark knew who he even was. Nobody knew. And nobody was following him. Really? Except for me. <laughs> really? That is really surprising. <laughs> so I watched him, you know, go up and down the aisles so he could get out. Right. And I had to wait to this next section because, because of that damn usher the right? usher was right. being a jag son of a bitch so it turns out he walked like three sections over before he came up to the next level yeah. and i just kept going with him i kept going with him I kept, and, I, and it was it was really hot out um even though it was unseasonably hot so i was sweating like a pig and i got up to him and and uh i said mr white mr white they turned around yes i said Hello, I, yes I'm, I'm your biggest fan you know and i and i said can i take a picture with you and he says oh sure absolutely and and uh i started holding up to take a selfie and i my hands were shaking <laughs> and i couldn't figure out you know the button and he said would you like me to do it and so he took my phone Ar- arlo touched my phone did it himself he held and it's the, the thumbprint too yeah. so you can't get on the phone anymore and before he pressed it he says so who you support i said liverpool he goes i'm a leicester man i said hey, yeah i know i know you i know everything about you you love blue cheese but not on a salad walnuts you hate walnuts it's not far off. <laughs> and we took a picture. I've got a picture. I, we should post it. Oh, week. my God. Yes. We post my uh, my selfie. Don't yeah. you think? Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Post, I'll send that to you. Um, right and on. then. And then. Oh, my God. The story is not over. <laughs> this is like a Ginsu knife celebrity story. Go on. What else? Then we went to England. I went to oh, England. Yes, right. And, and he said to me. I said You're to him. You're crying. You know, You've got tears in your eyes. <laughs> I said to him, I'm going to go. Uh, to London to see Chelsea in in November, and he said, "Well, you must look me up because um, my our studios are not far from there." I said, "Okay, <laughs> I will." And in fact, I did. I sent him a direct message uh, yeah. on Twitter. Excuse me, <laughs> you really are sneer quiet. <laughs> um, and uh, he he set up a time to meet him. I left to go down there, and then as I, I were on our way, my brother and I were going to go to the NBC headquarters in London. Yeah. He sends us a text, and this is right when Jose Mourinho, this is a yeah. you know, big story, right. he uh, got hired by Tottenham, and so there was a big press conference, and Arlo had to go to the press conference, and we got there, and I, and he had he Ugh. was not there. so And I left my uh, Every Cub Ever Book for him there. there. Yeah. Because I know he's a fan. Right. And he sent me a thank you note. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. So we're buddies. We're pretty much buddies. Can we? Let's get him on the show. Um, I don't think that would be a good idea. Why? Because it would be. You think yeah. I would possibly. It would be embarrassing. <laughs> I, don't think you, I don't think you'd handle it well. All right. Well, that was the longest celebrity. St- whoops. That was the longest celebrity story yeah. about a celebrity that. That nobody knows. <laughs> All right. But we do have a real celebrity on the line right now. No, I got to pick the next. Oh, well, hurry up because we've got Billy Hayes waiting oh, hold for on, us. Hold on. All right. So next week I have to tell the story of about Richard M. Daly. Okay. That's Mayor the son. Richard, yeah, Richard M. Daly, the son. Mayor of Chicago for 21 years. I actually have a story about him, too. Okay, great. Oh, my God. We, we'll, Twofer. We'll dueling Richard Daly stories next week. But right now. Let's bring in our guest. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute? Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. All right, Dave, this is exciting. Joining us on the phone, Billy Hayes, 
the author of Midnight Express, which is a terrifying, true tale, I mean, terrifying, <laughs> about being caught trying to smuggle hashish out of Turkey and then spending time in a Turkish prison. I'm sure most of our listeners remember the movie. It was a huge hit. For me, I, I remember it too well. <laughs> it came out in, right when I was in high school, right. 1979. I had nightmares for a month. I think I even stopped doing hashish for a couple of days. Right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Billy. You, really, you, you, you screwed Rick up from... <laughs> but I think it might have been a little bit worse for you. Isn't that true, Billy Hayes? Well, you know, I, I think at the very least my life is a cautionary tale. <laughs> all, all those who have seen it, like, don't be that stupid and do what I did. So... You know, exactly. And I don't want I'm sure this question has been probably posed to you. But what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, well, you know, seemed like seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> you know, the truth is, um, when I came home in 1975, I have I actually made three successful hash smuggling trips before I got arrested on my fourth trip. Right. I did it. I did it in October of 1969. Uh, April, no, April of 69. October of 69. April of 70. Every six months, and then okay. in October of 70, I took my fourth and last, and should definitely not have done more than three trips. <laughs> but you know, when I got home, I wanted to write my book about everything, my whole experience. You know, I loved Istanbul. I got along great with the Turks. I loved the city, and I loved the hash. I had a Turkish girlfriend. I didn't like the prison. I didn't like the legal system. Right. But that's a yeah. whole different issue. But when I got home and I, I told my lawyer, actually, I said, you know, I want to write this book and say about all my more exciting hash trips and such. He said, so let me get this straight. One question here. Uh, you want to say that you and tell everybody in the world, including the U.S. government, that you officially smuggled hash from Turkey to the U.S. <laughs> three times before you got busted on your fourth trip. Is, is that correct? I said, uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. He said, good. One more question. Are you out of your fucking mind? You can't say that. I said, why not? They they can't. They, there's no proof. They can't arrest me. He said, they don't have to have any proof. The Turkish government is going to ask for your extradition. And the yeah. U.S. government is going to say yes or no. And now you want to say to them, oh, by the way, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Three times I spoke of hash. Three words. Statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, there you go. So I was actually limited in my writing of the first book. And I, I could only talk about my fourth trip and, you know, prison and escape. I couldn't really talk about the other parts of it, which led to some difficulties and problems. And it also, you know, led to the overall tone of the film which was rather was a difficult film for the Turks. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. You know, the tourism dropped 95% when the movie came out. And the biggest change in, in, in between my real life story, my book and the movie is aside from the escape, which was uh, mind blowing to me when I, Alan Parker showed me the film in New York at a little theater in, on fifth Avenue, some Columbia office way before it even came out. And all by myself, I came out, I was like sweating. I couldn't even breathe. He said, well, Billy, what do you think? I said, uh, uh, did I make it? Did I make it? Uh, I said, I, I, I love the film. I miss my rowboat. What happened? You know, literally I escaped off an Island in a rowboat in a storm yeah. and it gave me back my life and my sense of self prison says, you're a loser. You're a loser. After a while, you believe that. And you're done. You lose something. And I was at that point when I escaped. And the, literally, I got myself in. I fucked myself over. I fucked my family over. But I got myself out. Yeah. And I wanted to see that. God damn it. Just for me, I wanted to see that rowboat. They didn't use it. Yeah. I, no, you know, and it's, it's a really dramatic story. The real story is really dramatic. It's made for Hollywood. It's made for – I was afraid that if they did it, people were going to say, oh, the good movie except for that made-up ending. Like, <laughs> So they didn't do it at all. They had me kill a guard, which I didn't do. And then – 
skip out the door, which, you know, if it had been that easy, it wouldn't have taken me five yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and then in the film, they changed, they got a courtroom scene, which I think for me is the key part of the movie that antagonized the world against the Turks. You yeah. know, not that they needed too much. The Ottoman Empire was disliked by everyone around them, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I'm not talking politics. Just in the courtroom scene in that film, the audience is with their antagonist, with me, Billy Hayes, and he gets, you know, instead of going free in 54 days, they sentence me to life in jail, right. which everybody in the theater says, oh my God, that'd be terrible. And they've got a speech that Oliver Stone wrote, who wrote the screenplay, right. where they've got my character cursing out the nation of Turkey. I fuck you all. I fuck your sons. I fuck your daughters. Well, yeah. first off, somebody who's just been sentenced to life in a country's prison, you don't say that <laughs> no, out that loud to idiotic. people. <laughs> if you, you, maybe you feel that way, but you don't say that, which was so stupid to me. And then secondly, you know, what I said was uh, I've been in your jail more than three years now and I don't agree. And if you're going to sentence me to more prison, all I can do is forgive you. That's in my book. That's in the court record. Forgive you. Fuck your sons and daughters. There's a big difference between the two. The you know, I'm so world... happy to hear you say that because when I watched that movie, I was muttering to myself, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah. What are you well, doing? Shut up. But it's true. Like, why would he do that? And and if for me, just personally, that that film, the audience was uh, – that's where the the audience was so antagonized against the Turkish nation and where everybody in Turkey hated the character they saw on the screen, which is me. And they see me kill a guard. Again, I didn't do that. I escaped off this island in the storm and a rowboat made for Hollywood. They didn't do it. But the whole world Did you saw bite that. the guy's tongue off? Is that real? Uh, the fight was real. Okay. This, this guy was an informer and he got one of my friends busted and beaten up. And I wasn't quite as successful. The guards came in and dragged me off while I was trying to choke and kill this guy, which sounds so strange to say now. I'm into love and light, and I went birds to land on my shoulder, and I was trying to kill this guy. But the guards dragged me off, but the, the, the filmmaker thought to have the informer's tongue bitten out was very theatrical. I actually don't have problems with that. Yeah, no, I didn't I like do it that per, part. That was Well, cool. <laughs> I didn't do it per se, but the thing is, it, it's, it works, and there was so much violence in all different forms there that I didn't have a problem if they took, if they chose this bit of violence as opposed to something else that happened. It didn't bother me. The, but the courtroom scene bothered me because I didn't say that, and Turkey's tourism dropped 95%, and everybody in the theater hated the Turks because of that scene. And my life was miserable. For 20 years, there was an Interpol warrant after they issued the interval warrant not when i escaped not when my first book came out but when they saw that scene in the movie really? the turks issued an interpol warrant for my arrest that stood for the next 20 years wow. so like thank you oliver stone but uh <laughs> hey, yeah. have you had a chance to talk to oliver stone and bitch him out for this yeah, <laughs> uh, yes and no a little bit you know he sort of became a persona non grata with the whole film crew and the producers and such oh really so even well, back then he, he was like that oh oh yeah way more back then he was crazy i love him i love the energy i love that craziness his worst films are better than most people's no you're you right know, about best that. films yeah. so but that's a whole nother issue but yeah. no but he he made that change he actually wrote the real escape in and then uh, alan parker pretty much took it out when i asked him what happened to my robot he said billy what 45 minutes of this film do you want to cut to have you know the escape the audience is that enough and then there's the factors of what it would cost as a filmmaker myself now i understand what it would cost to shoot an uh, escape in a rowboat yeah. in a storm at night and then run through turkey for three days and eventually swim across the river into greece yeah that yeah. would be a lot of money just, so he yeah, said just kill just kill the guard and we'll be just fine. kill him quick and get him out of there which is you know that's what happened so uh yeah I they guess that, that makes sense. You know, I thought yeah. I thought Brad Davis did a great job. Uh, he he put his heart. In oh my God, he was fantastic. Yeah. Did you spend any time with him 
you know, before sure. the movie, yeah, I, you spoke to Ash with them, right? No, no, not before. <laughs> they, they, I would love to. They brought me over to Malta to meet with Brad in the middle of shooting, which oh. the director didn't like it. Actually, I don't think Brad liked it either. He's, you know, he's got this. He read my book. He's got my little paperback, all noted and bent pages. And, you know, he really studied the book. But it was weird to have the real guy there. So they... But Columbia insisted they bring me there for some PR stuff, have, you know, pictures of Billy Hayes and then Brad mm. together. And for three days, they didn't let me meet him. And then one day, David Putnam, one of the producers, brought me up some back stairs on the set, which was Fort St. Elmo on, on Malta, and uh, had me walk in and sort of like push me into this room where there were a bunch of people and there were cameras set up. And I, I didn't know what it was. And they were interviewing Brad on the bed for, you know, some kind of uh, PR stuff for, for later. And... Putnam said, well, they're making me do this. And I have to do it. I'm going to do it right. So he opened the door and like shoved me into the room, which was like, wow. And there was Brad on the bed. And Brad looked at me and I looked at him. He said, the first thing he said was, you know, to the guys around it, this isn't fair. Like, you know, you're springing this on me. Yeah, right. But then he and I instantly connected. And I sat down next to him in the bed and we did this interview and such. And we were, you know, we had this incredible bond. And when I got back from malta uh, and i actually was living in california at that time he and i became friends and we stayed friends up until the end which yeah. Yeah. wasn't too much further unfortunately yeah. Yeah. right that's true um you know uh, you talked about oliver stone and and uh he is a brilliant writer and you know you're you're a brilliant writer too. I read your your book. It's it's really well written. Um, I, I'm sorry, I, di I didn't hear that part. There was static on the line. <laughs> you know what? It's a podcast. Anybody can keep rewinding it as many times as they want. Thank but, you very much. By the way, it's really it's it's really very okay. well written. Um, uh, did you feel like um, now looking back on it, having someone of Oliver Stone's uh, uh, cachet uh, attached to the project? Does it? Does it make you feel like uh, it's added to the legend of the story, or, or well, was he no, just kind of is, unknown at that time? He was a total unknown. Yeah. He had, you know, it, they they had read a copy of a script that he had written uh, called Platoon that yeah. nobody would make because it was so close to the war and such, right. which had him really pissed off. I mean, obviously, but it went all right. Everybody read it. Great, 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 but nobody would do it. But it was that script that made the Columbia folks, Peter Gruber and people, realize that he could write this story. So they put me and him in a, a little room at the Mayfair Hotel in New York for a week. And we spent, you know, eight hours a day, seven straight days in a row uh, where you know, he'd order room service and have vodka and food and lines of Coke. And he was just he was so crazy. But I like crazy. It worked for, fine for me. So we rambled for a week, and I said, now what? He says, now I go off to a cabin in the mountains somewhere and write this script. And I said, and then what? He said, then like a child, you send it out into the world, and you just pray that it survives. Wow. <laughs> I mean, he knew the film business even then. But, you know, wow. I didn't have any say on what – when my when I signed a contract, I, my literary agent, Julian Bach, who I loved. I met in New York like the third or fourth day I was home. I met a whole bunch of literary agents. Yeah, most of them I bet I didn't they like. were lined up when you got yeah, there. Yeah, but they were also – you know, they had me meeting instantly with the with writers and people, Peter Moss and other people that wanted me to like – you know, I got to write this myself, guys. It's, yeah. So then I met uh, uh, Julian and – 
he read my first 15 pages of rough stuff and he said, well, Billy, this is good because now we know we need to bring in a professional writer. I said, what are you talking about? You know, I went to journalism school. I'm a writer. He said, your style, which he termed the hysterical subjective. He said, this would be good for Rolling Stone and your media peers. But if you want this book to go out beyond that, and he said, and to make any money, which God, I needed, he said, we need to bring somebody in to organize you and focus it. So I didn't want someone, but I desperately wanted someone just to see, you know, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And I met a bunch of guys, a bunch of writers, and then I met Bill Hoffer, who was wonderful. And he kind of reminded me of my wife of 39 years. Very calm, very steady, and very deliberate and never fucking gives up or stops. And Hoffer just kept at me. I'd have quit after the first couple of days because bringing all this stuff up was – I bet. He had a tape – he brought a tape recorder in. And what we did initially was he just talked to me, asked questions, and I spoke into a tape recorder, which wow. is a very humbling experience oh because God. then they then they transcribe it and to read the, the non-sequitur, disjointed yeah. way that my brain works, it was, oh, my God. But out of that, we organized – here's the start of the book here's the end of the book let's break it down let's get some chapters let's get some characters and then he would say you need to write this and i'd write this and this and this and this and he'd take it and look at it and he'd say well you know you said this but if if, but i'm reading your early letters you know i wrote about a thousand letters home to people and you have a whole book out with those letters too well yeah eventually that was the last book i wrote i wrote midnight express first and then i wrote midnight return the following and then years later all of these letters that people had written and given me that i used to write midnight express put in the attic and I was going to throw them out until Wendy made me bring them back in. And then my lawyer heard that I had some letters. And I, he said, what letters? I said, these moldy old letters. So he wanted to read some, and he did. And he said, you need to take all these letters, organize them, uh, put them in a form that's re- readable. And the big thing is do not change a single word. Mm, yeah. And that was the hard part <laughs> to, yeah. to read what you think you know about life. So at 23 and 24, right. like some of it is like, Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. But it was a very interesting experience to go back. I hadn't looked at these letters in 30 years and emotionally when I read them, they, they just instantly took me back. I mean, I could smell the place. I, I could feel the, the, the blanket underneath me on the bed. I mean, it was quite oh. an experience to just put them all together. And there's a real arc to them. In fact, Wendy publishes all my stuff now, the last couple of years. And there's a real arc to the letters that creates a very interesting dynamic in the book. And the, the er, even the early letters are, for the most part, the smart-ass wise guy who I was that got me in there. But they change after a while. And there's a there's definitely a a growth and a change. You know, you, you, I certainly need it. You, you just mentioned about you know the smells and the, and taking you back. Yeah. Here's a question: Do you still have Turkish prison dreams? Because I would, you know, I have dreams about missing a class in college. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, do you still? I would imagine not, not anymore like I used to. Like at first, oh geez, bad stuff on it. You know, running and guards and stuff. But writing the book was so cathartic, yeah. so therapeutic. Getting it all out, putting it on the paper, kind of settled it down in a way. And the fact that I have literally been talking about this since the moment I stepped off the plane at Kennedy Airport. I'm still talking about it now. It's 50 years later. That obviously must be good for me because I keep doing it. I'm doing this one-man show for the last six years now, riding the Midnight Express with Billy Head, traveling the world, telling these stories. But well, from a perspective of 50 years later, so I'm able to see them and talk about them, but have some interesting perspective on them. And what I have discovered is over the years, people are still interested in this story. Yeah. 
because everybody can relate in a strange way because everybody's been down in a deep dark place somewhere struggling to get out you know my story is a little more compact <laughs> and dramatic but everybody's been there everybody's had to deal with this so there's a there's kind of a, an inspiration thing that happens at the end of each of the shows that I find so therapeutic and good for me as, a, as an actor to to hear people say, you know, your story helped me because of this and that. It's balancing balancing my karmic scales. I'll take everything I can on the one well, side. And you because I, pal- I yeah, uh, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry. Go on. I'm so- no, go ahead. I, I was I was going to say I, I've I've seen a couple of interviews. So it was the worst part, is the worst thing that happened in your life, and the best thing that happened in your life. Yep, was the, the absolutely. It forced me to grow up. I, I, you know, I learned a lot of valuable stuff. I discovered my reason for being. I met my wife at the Cannes Film Festival in 1978 when the movie came out. And we've been together for 39 years. I mean, wow. that's, that's pretty amazing for me. Hey, so, it, so you mentioned the one-man show. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know you're still doing it, and uh, is there's some coming up? Isn't that right? Are you doing some? Well, you know what I'm doing. I've got a series of uh, library speeches we're okay. doing uh, this Sunday, in fact, at some of the local libraries in Las Vegas where I live. I'm connected. I've come back around 50 years later. I'm back in the cannabis. It, but, you know, it's a very different world, the cannabis world now than when I was first in it in 1969, because it's all legal. I'm working with um, a company called Hemp Inc., and we're putting out uh, a line of old smugglers, high CBD pre-rolled uh, pre-rolls for CBD for relief of body pain, etc. And it's all legal now, of course, because it, it was just legalized in Illinois here. Yeah, so. just, yeah, yeah. You Dave know, and I have been are, researching it because uh, we're we're students of uh, yeah. the you, subject. Sure. Uh, yeah, honey, honey, this is for the podcast. I, mean, we, I we can't need to know as you know, legal experts, <laughs> right, right. what we yes. can talk to our people about. And, you know, um, so yeah, well, we would be I'd interested back... in your speeches. Well, there you go. We're doing that. I'm working. We're doing with a. I'm doing that. These pre-rolls with hemp ink and they're supposedly going to be out before the end of the month which would be lovely and uh yeah i hear that too it always happens when i'm doing a show or somebody's <laughs> phone rings yes, or uh, i love doing the show in scotland so you know some drunken guy in the front row <laughs> and not, not off and they wake up again where are <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> we usually disconnect the phone but we uh right. yeah you know but we've so been anyway, studying subjects world. that we shouldn't be studying and now we're forgetting to do things like unplugging <laughs> yeah the our short our short-term <laughs> memory is not very good anymore <laughs> hey does your wife ever uh like if does she ever flop out the you escape from a turkish prison and you can't load the dishwasher correctly does she ever do anything like that <laughs> well you know there's a whole things that would be correct except i do all the dishes okay oh, all right okay so you're the dream she's husband a she's a she's a great cook and i never cook i literally used to do the dishes in jail people would get together in prison different groups come people come people go but you know if somebody has an onion somebody else has two eggs somebody's got something else so you put it together you you cook it up and then three or four guys share the food yeah. so there was always those kind of groups i don't cook i'm just not a cook but i always cleaned the dishes afterwards because that you always get invited back to whatever the next group is if you clean the dishes That's and i smart. just kept that tradition out here so I, wherever we go, I clean the dishes. Well, you're welcome <laughs> to come to our house anytime. Uh, we appreciate it. And actually, Billy, you know, we thank you very much for spending some time with us because uh, we learned a lot uh, and and we really enjoy your book. We enjoyed the story and, and you're doing good work now spreading the word and please keep it up. I appreciate it, guys. All the best. We'll talk again sometime down the line. Thanks, Billy. Take good, it easy. Good right. help you to you. Bye-bye. Bye now. You too. Just like, just like what I didn't in high school and college.
<laughs> if I if I had a nickel for every time I escaped from a Turkish prison, absolutely. Oh my god, unbelievable. Uh, so you know we've got uh, another show coming up soon here, but uh, before we do, let's uh, give special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasana with OpiShows dot com. Opi is hippo backwards. O p p i h shows dot com. We also are distributed by Ed Silva with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Minutia Man. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Lou takes a breather while I welcome special guest Scott Crane for a wide-ranging discussion about what else? Cars. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me for the this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, stay tuned, rock on TV. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, from bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Hey, this is Tony Lasano with Nude Hippo, the podcast, and this week I have a special guest. Her name is... Amy. Records Landa. <laughs> not Records. <laughs> records is not your middle name. <laughs> and we'll talk about the season finale of Transparent on Amazon Prime. And the next edition of Nude Hippo the Podcast. I am not nude though. We don't know. <laughs> nude Hippo the Podcast. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. No, I like Lasano. <laughs> <laughs>